1: It's not that the world is lacking for spiritual influence. Pastor Greg Laurie says it's a collision of competing messages.
0: Our world is filled with all kinds of religious ideology, with all kinds of gurus and self-proclaimed prophets and other religious leaders all saying they have the truth. What is the genuine article? It's the Christian faith. That is the only genuine article. Everything else is an imitation. This is the
1: day ago, social media was ablaze with an interesting sound experiment. A certain recording sounded like the word laurel to some people and like yanny to others. It was very interesting and a little bit odd. But we see the same thing on a spiritual level. Two people can respond to a single gospel message in two different ways. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out the danger of listening with a hardened heart. And Pastor Greg begins with
0: an admission. when I was a kid, I collected snakes. I was just into reptiles, and I'm not really sure why. And I had all kinds of snakes. I had snakes I caught, like gopher snakes, uh, king snakes, boas, pythons. And I had this one python. His name was Monty. No, not really. It wasn't. But (laughs) I don't think I even gave him a name. Actually, we had a very a uh, hostile relationship, this snake and I, whenever I put my hand into his terrarium, he'd strike and bite me. And, and so I was paranoid of this snake and I think he knew. But uh, anyway, I paid a little bit of money for him so I had to feed him. Now you know what you feed a snake, right? Snakes eat live mice. And so I, I put a little mouse in there and normally the mouse would be put in the terrarium be walking around then see the snake be paralyzed with fear. The snake would coil up and then strike. Okay, but this was a whole different scenario. I put the little mouse in there and the snake got ready to strike and the mouse was like, hey, what's up? And he starts walking around. He sniffs the snake in the face. It freaked the snake. The snake kind of pulled back. Next thing I know, the mouse is standing on top of the snake. <laughs> and I thought, this is the coolest mouse I've ever seen. I'm sparing the life of this mouse. So I reached in, took the mouse out, and he became my pet. So, but we're all gonna have to face the serpent sooner or later. And I think you know what I mean by that because the Bible, on more than one occasion, tells us that Satan is a serpent. He came to Eve and Adam in the garden as a serpent, and he's described in Revelation 20 as the old serpent who is. The devil. And now in our story of Moses, he has to face the serpent of Egypt. Because actually, the symbol of ancient Egypt was a cobra that even the Pharaoh would wear on his headdress. And you remember that the Lord directed Moses to take his shepherd's staff, throw it on the ground, it became a cobra, presumably, a snake at least he grabbed her by the tail, it turned into a rod again, and he was to go in and perform this miracle in front of the Pharaoh, which was God's way of saying to Moses, take the snake by the tail, face your fears, you're going to overcome the Pharaoh and the might of Egypt. But the thing is, is despite the many miracles that Moses was about to do for the Pharaoh, this man's heart became hard. But in contrast to the hardened heart of Pharaoh iron had entered the heart of Moses he was full of faith and courage the lord spoke to him at the burning bush Moses offered a lot of excuses which god rebutted and now Moses is ready for action how was he able to do it hebrews 11:27 gives us a little commentary It says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. That's what kept Moses going, and that's what will keep you going. Having your eyes on the one who is invisible. In other words, looking to the Lord. So let's pick the story up. Here's round one with Moses and the Pharaoh, Exodus 5. I'll read verses one to three. And by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And the Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And uh, they said, but the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So we'll stop there. So the big moment has finally come. Moses knew it wasn't gonna be easy, but I think he was a little shocked by how unresponsive the Pharaoh was. And I think sometimes in the same way we think that once we commit our lives to Christ and choose to follow Him and even take a step of faith and obey Him that we're gonna just have green lights and smooth sailing. But instead we find we face opposition. We face pushback from unexpected places. Maybe your family. Maybe your friends. Sometimes even your Christian friends. Certainly from non-believers. You face opposition all around. And by the way, That doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. That probably means you're doing the right thing. That's called spiritual warfare. And it's been said, conversion has made our hearts a battlefield. The moment you become a Christian, you enter into a spiritual battle. You're either gonna fight and win, or you're gonna not fight and lose. But there's no other options. You're either going to gain ground in this battle, or you're going to lose ground in this battle. And Moses was discovering this for himself, that being in the will of God does not mean that you will not face opposition. So what does Moses do? He, he's a little uh, put off by this. He's a little disappointed and disillusioned. So he calls on the Lord. In Exodus chapter five, verse 22, we read, Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble to your own people, Lord? Why did you even send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he's been even more brutal to the people and you've done nothing to rescue them. Wow, (laughs) that's a pretty honest prayer. And if we would have read the next verse, which would have been, and the Lord smote Moses and he was no more. (laughs) It would have made sense, but we don't read that. Instead, God responds to Moses. In Exodus six, verse six, the Lord says, "'Therefore say to the people of Israel, "'I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. "'I'll rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. "'I'll redeem you with a powerful arm "'and great acts of judgment. "'I will claim you as my own people. "'I will be your God. "'And you will know that I am the Lord your God "'who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you as your own possession for I am the Lord. So basically God says repeatedly, I am the Lord, verse six. I am the Lord, verse seven. I am the Lord, verse eight. Take away message. He is the Lord. And then he says in verse six, I'll free you. Verse six, I'll rescue you. Verse six, I'll redeem you. Verse seven, I'll claim you. Verse seven, I will be. And verse eight, I will bring you. And finally, verse eight, I will give. Moses, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna rescue you, redeem you, claim you, because I am the Lord. And that's what God is saying to you right now. Because maybe you're facing a Pharaoh, you're facing some scary person or some frightening situation or a set of overwhelming circumstances. And you don't know what to do. You're looking to the right and you're looking to the left. Remember when Moses did that before he killed the Egyptian? He looked this way, looked that way. Killed the guy, should have looked up. And this is what we need to do. Look up. But the problem is we can sometimes go a day without a single thought about heaven. We can go a month with any thoughts about the afterlife. But sometimes when you're down in your back, the only way to look is up. And I might be talking to somebody who's on their back right now figuratively or literally, and you don't know how you got there, but you're looking up to the Lord now. And that's what Moses needed to do. He needed to look to the Lord. It was an honest prayer.
1: You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. Today, Pastor Greg is offering insights from Moses' confrontation with the Pharaoh of Egypt in a message called The Danger of a Hardened Heart.
0: So let's ship gears. It's round two. Exodus chapter seven, verse 10. I'm reading, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. And they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down the rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called his wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. They did so in like manner with their enchantments For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But I love this little commentary. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Okay, it's time for the conflict to begin. So basically a series of 10 plagues are gonna fall upon Egypt and upon the Pharaoh, each gaining in intensity as Pharaoh's heart got harder. This includes the Nile River turning to blood, a plague of frogs, a plague of lice, and more to come. What is interesting is there's a strategy to these judgments because in effect every one of these judgments from God was directed toward a god of Egypt. You see the Egyptians worshiped just about everyone and everything. In the mind of the Egyptian the Nile River was a deity. They even worshipped a frog god, believe it or not. Had the body of a woman, the head of a frog. Not very appealing. It was called heget, translated to our English word kermit. No, not really. (laughs) Uh, Kermit the frog, Sesame Street News here. But they really worshipped a frog, which is pretty bizarre. So the Lord said, oh, you want frogs? You worship frogs? I'll give you more frogs and you can shake a stick at Oh, the Nile River, you think this is a deity? I'll turn it to blood. And this brings up an important point. It shows us one of the devil's most effective tactics. It's the tactic of imitation. Notice that Moses was able to turn the Nile River to blood and the Pharaoh's magicians, and by the way, these guys were like occultists, They were serving in the court of the king as astrologers and astronomers, and they were deeply into the occult. So these guys were somehow able to uh, recreate this miracle, a replication of sorts. I don't know what it was, but they were able to do it. And Pharaoh's heart got harder. And this brings us us to the point of the devil's a good imitator. See, here's what he does. He floods the market with all kinds of cheap imitations, making it harder for a person to know what the truth is. Our world is filled with all kinds of religious ideology, with all kinds of gurus and self-proclaimed prophets and other religious leaders all saying, they have the truth. What is the genuine article? Am I going out on a limb when I say it's The Christian faith. That is the only genuine article. Everything else is an imitation. (laughs) Jesus put it best when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. He said a farmer went out to sow wheat, and in the night a neighbor, really like an enemy, came and sowed tares, or The Darnell seed. Now a tear is basically a a thing that one plants that looks just like wheat initially, but later it actually uproots the wheat. So the devil puts all of these fake versions out there. We have Jesus Christ, he ultimately will have the Antichrist. We have real Christians, he'll have fake Christians. I don't know who the Christians are. People say, I'm a Christian, or they'll quote verses and then they'll attack you. And I wonder, are you a Christian? I don't know, I'm not saying you aren't, but I'm not certain you are by their fruits you shall know them. But ultimately we'll know in the end who the real believers are. So God will determine that for us. But this was an imitation to confuse and Pharaoh's heart got harder. Here comes plague number one because the Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Nile River's turned to blood. That's in Exodus seven fourteen to 18. Moses takes his rod, touches the river. It turns to blood, kills all the fish, And uh, to strike the Nile was to strike the very heart of Egypt. So in a way the Lord is saying, okay, is this your God? I'm gonna take your God down to reveal to you there is no God but me. People make gods out of a lot of stuff. The Bible tells us, little children, keep yourself from idols. An idol, a God, can be anyone or anything that takes the place of the true God in your life. For some, it might be a career. For another, it might be their fame. For another, their beauty or their money. And they worship at the altar of that God. And when I say worship, I mean that's all they think about. That's what they're passionate about. That's the first thing they do. When they get up in the morning, they think about that. They pursue that thing. And sometimes the Lord will bring our gods down so we will understand there's no God but him. Well, this didn't even impact Pharaoh one bit. We read in Exodus seven twenty three, he returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Yeah, until plague number two came along. He changed his tune. That was the invasion of frogs. Exodus 8, 1-2. So all of these frogs show up. God says, you want to worship your frog god? You want kermit? You got kermit. You have frogs in your oven. You have frogs in your bed. You have frogs in your fridge. You have frogs in your vehicles. You have frogs on your shoulders, under your feet. Wherever you go, there will be frogs. Frogs everywhere. And this kind of freaked out Pharaoh. And he went to Moses and said, please pray to your God and tell him to remove the frogs. So the frogs all died. So I love the King James uh, version of what happened. It says, the land stank. It's just sometimes you gotta pull out a King James word, and stank is a great word. (laughs) That land stank, man, yeah. So Pharaoh's like, oh, pray to your God. Help me out, okay, Lord, intervene, and the Lord did. And the Pharaoh's like, yeah, see you next plague. Don't we do the same thing? Think of people that make great promises to God. Oh God, if you get me out of this mess I'm in, usually a mess you created for yourself and the Lord intervenes and helps you, then you go and do it again and again. So the Pharaoh kept hardening his heart.
1: We're following one of the most fascinating encounters in the Bible. Pastor Greg Laurie is leading our study of Exodus today on A New Beginning and the confrontation between the prophet Moses and the Pharaoh of Egypt. Next time, more insight on the danger of having a hardened heart. Pastor Greg continues our studies in The Life of Moses.